welcome to episode 67 of the SBP podcast, The Voice of Mobile Film. I'm your host, Susie Botello. In our podcast, we bring you the editor of the feature film, Blue Moon, Judd Resnick. Judd lives in New Zealand, but we find it interesting that he used to live in San Diego before he and his wife actually moved to New Zealand, which is where Blue Moon was filmed. Blue Moon was shot with an iPhone at one location during a very short time. When you see the trailer for Blue Moon, it actually grabs you. First, you don't realize that the film was shot with a phone, but also because of the editing talents of our guest. Judd and I talk about Blue Moon and what editing a feature shot with an iPhone and edited with a PC was like. But we also talk about editing films. Judd shares tips and advice for editing your films, and we have some fun referencing some films with outstanding editing. If you're ready, and I am, let's go talk to Judd. Welcome to the SBP podcast. We are going back to New Zealand. We're going to talk to none other than one of the most famous members of the Blue Moon <laughs> movie casting crew, right? Um, Judd, uh, Judd Resnick is here with us. He's going to uh, talk about his experience with Blue Moon and the editing. So welcome, Judd. Great to be here. What, let me ask you something about editing because we we normally you know we spoke with Ryan we spoke with the actors we spoke with the the director, um, but a lot of times people forget you know once you create all this content with this great acting uh, the sound and the visuals and everything there's something really important that happens it's called post production and sometimes that can be the most tedious and the longest part of a production process, right? It definitely can be. On this, it was a little different in that we were kind of up against the, the gun, so to speak. Uh, so it was actually a pretty short post-production process. But normally it's, yeah, I mean, I guess you could take as long, as short or as long as you want editing, um, you know, uh, depending on the time you have. Yeah, and because this was shot on a phone, and um, there there was no big funder, uh, you know, boss saying you must do it by this date or that date. You were able to really get technical with it. Jed, one before we talk a little more um, too much about Blue Moon, uh, why don't you just share a little bit about your background um, with our listeners, so that when we start talking about Blue Moon, they'll know and understand where you're coming from. Oh, sure. Um, well, let's see. What can I say? I went to, I've been editing most of my adult life. I actually started editing technically in high school. I was lucky enough to have a uh, video audio kind of program in our school that uh, it was a broadcasting program and sort of learned the basics of editing then. This is going to really date me, but this is back before there was uh, uh, nonlinear editing really uh, in uh, available in schools. It was basically... VHS tape to VHS tape, and you would 
basically you would, you would have to think about the edits you put together shot by shot. And if you put some shots together and you didn't like it, you'd have to go back and go over everything you did. Um, so it's a real kind of uh, archaic way of doing things. But it taught me some basics of, of editing and, and production and post-production. Um, then gonna, I went off I'm going to, to age myself. I have to butt in because I can't help myself. Um, the first camera I ever had was a big Panasonic VHS camera. Mm. Um, and I would plug it into the VCR. And if yep. no one knows what that is, I'm sorry, but Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I still know. <laughs> yeah, and it had a fade in and a fade out for me to do the yeah. transitions. And I would that was tape-to-tape editing. I didn't know what it was called at the yep. time. <laughs> I did plenty of that. When I used to do home movies, I used to try to do stop, quote-unquote stop-motion home movies with the old oh, yeah. camcorders where you would press record and it would give you a little red blinking light for a second and then go on. So it was literally waiting and then pressing stop and then go and stop and go. And it looked awful, but... Um, it's kind of the basics, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think technology has come a long way since uh, I was a kid. Yeah, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And then, so you started doing this, the, um, the Flintstones way, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then, you know, managed to, uh, went off to school, went to film school in Miami. Uh, and after that moved out to Los Angeles, uh, where I, um, I wanted to get into, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be an editor because I loved editing, but I also kind of wanted to be practical about moving out to Los Angeles and not just say, oh, I'm going to edit movies and try and be a director. I wanted to get a, you know, a nine to five job, so to speak, and, 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 and pay the bills. So uh, I went into trailer editing because I loved movie trailers and figured that was kind of steady work. There are a lot of uh, what they call like trailer houses or edit houses in Los Angeles who it's like advertising, but advertising for the film industry. Uh, so that's where I, what I did for um, several many years was started off as as a runner. Back before everyone was sending footage off online, you had to throw stuff on big three quarter inch tapes and then run them across town, get in your car and drive them all over town. And so that was my first job. Actually, was was running all over LA uh, and was able to work my way up into an assistant editor position for a couple of years and then became an editor and spent several years doing movie trailers and television spots, uh, advertising for movies and TV stuff. Um, and then, uh, one day met my now wife who, uh, uh, is a doctor and she was just about to get a job in San Diego. Um, and had convinced me to uh, move down to San Diego. And I think by that time, I was pretty ready to leave Los Angeles anyways. I was getting a little disillusioned with the the film advertising industry, so to speak. But um, re- managed to get a job in San Diego at uh, Sony PlayStation, their offices there, which turned out to be an incredible experience because uh, I got to edit uh, what they call cinematics for video games which was kind of little mini movies. It was um, the first time I really had a chance to actually edit scenes, cinematic scenes, um, professionally at least. And that's always what I'd really wanted to do anyways. But uh, this had the added kind of technical aspect of it being computer-generated images. And so it was kind of a completely different way of editing than you would get on a movie where you have a couple cameras and you have a couple shots. This was... uh, they would go into what they call a volume. You've probably seen stuff like this. People wearing motion capture suits. How kind of how they did Avatar? Yeah. That's how they. That's how they record 
video game cinematics. They get guys in these suits, they act out a scene in, in, in just a kind of a blank space, and then in post-production you can go in and create your shots later which was to me was revolutionary and amazing because then you could look at something, you could edit something together and then I could go back to the, to the camera team and be like, Oh, you know, it'd be really great to get a close up here. Or, you know, you could kind of work with them on crafting a scene after it had already been quote unquote shot or acted out. Um, which was really, really, yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So I got to do a couple of games that way and absolutely loved it. Um, and then um, my wife and I, randomly, I think for years, have just been talking about having an adventure of, of moving overseas. And we'd actually come to New Zealand on our honeymoon, in part, I think, because my wife wanted to convince me to move to New Zealand one day. And it, it kind of worked because we spent two weeks driving around the country and I absolutely fell in love with it. So we kind of knew for a couple of years that our goal would be to somehow get to New Zealand. Luckily, through her work, they, they're they always looking for, for doctors. And that's how we decided one day she got a job offer in New Zealand. Um, and we said, okay, let's do it. Um, so we've been here for about five years now. And you have, um, you have an editing company or you work for one or how's that work? Yeah. So, well, my day job now is, um, uh, I'm kind of, well, I don't want to say a one man, but there's, it's a, a small company that does different multimedia things. And I was hired to do documentary work for them. Um, they're kind of a health centric company and they wanted to do a documentary series on diabetes uh which i didn't know that much about at the time but i basically now took it upon myself to yeah I, I, yeah because uh it, it was kind of a couple year in the making project we've been working on and it's it's probably going to come out pretty soon but it's an eight-part series on diabetes and from there we'll work on other stuff but that's sort of my my, my day job now but in in the space of doing that it allowed me to well, actually, I had met the, the, the Blue Moon team I knew because I had done this short film festival here called the 48-Hour Film Festival. I think they have similar things in America now. Oh, yeah, um, they're a franchise, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I'm not quite sure. But I'd never heard of it until I came here. But actually, before we – so now we're in this um, – what's probably the biggest city on the South Island of New Zealand is Christchurch. When we first moved here, here we were in this really small town named Timaru which is about two hours south of here. And randomly in there met a couple people that uh, were into movies and um, needed an editor for this 48-hour film festival. And, um, and that's kind of how I met uh, the, the, the Blue Moon team is because Ryan was uh, the camera uh, director of photography, was one of the people uh, working on that project. And he was the one who had recommended me to Steph Harris, the director for Blue Moon. So it's kind of a weird roundabout way that uh, I ended up working on that project. And it's almost like, you know, might want to have, well, I might just point out, were you the only one outside of the actors who's not a cop working on this film? <laughs> I think so, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was waiting for you to say, and, uh, and I met uh, Steph. Yeah, they Ryan, pulled me they over pulled one day. Over. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they handcuffed me luckily, and said, you're yeah. working on this. <laughs> luckily, yeah, luckily, uh, yeah, luckily I didn't meet them in, uh, during their day job, so... <laughs> Yeah, you know, you were talking about the documentaries, and I called you an expert, um, because it's one of the, out of all the, you know, filmmaking, there's so much value in filmmaking. People think it's just fun, and it's very, um, it's just, it's an art and a science because of the technicality of how you put things together and how you make things happen. Um, 
But it is also very educational. Um, I myself worked on, you know, we were talking about video production earlier. Uh, every project that I worked on, you know, when you're editing, you're, you're not just looking at things and putting them together. You have to also listen to what, you know, people are saying. Um, you're, you're like editing a story together and you learn so much from interviews and, and things like that. Um, that it is one of the most, I mean, for all teachers out there, I mean, I'm always after them. You, you really need to, um, incorporate, uh, especially now with the smartphone cameras, um, documentary filmmaking for a lot of the topics in schools. Mm, no, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's a big kind of market that, you know, anyone with a camera can make, go and make a documentary, make a good documentary. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's yeah. um, it's a very um, it, it it kids learn a lot um, no matter how old they are by learning how to how to tell stories and this really forces you in a fun fun way and they want to learn how to they want to do things with their phones anyway so I think it's sure. a great idea. Um, Definitely. Before I go too far into that, um, tell me a little bit or or tell our listeners. Um, so we, we know that they wanted you to do this. At what point in the film did they approach you? Um, you know, because I know uh, Steph mm. was talking just for some listeners who have not listened to the other, you know, podcasts with Steph or, or anything. But he shot, he, was, he happened to glance over at the gas station and saw this beautiful glass station gas station that looked like a UFO lit up in the middle of the night. Uh, it was very solitary, right? And mm. he centered that whole story around that gas station. But the story is not about a gas station. It's really great uh, a story with characters and, and everything. At what yeah. point after that did you come into the picture? Actually, before that, because um, sometime before that, Steph, the director, had a different screenplay he wanted to do with the same actors uh, that was going to be a little bit kind of a bit of a bigger budget sort of deal. It's going to be a chase movie. And uh, I came on board through Ryan uh, for that to edit uh, what they call a sizzle trailer for that. Uh, so they hadn't shot the movie yet, but they wanted to try and get some funds for it. And so they had filmed uh, just some sort of rehearsals with a couple of the actors and the director and just needed somebody to edit that. So they approached me for that. And I did a little five-minute kind of sizzle uh, video for that. Um, and I think in the course of, of doing that, they realized that trying to make that film would be a little bit too costly and um, and, and probably difficult that point and so i believe and you'd have to ask steph exactly how this went but the way that he tells it i believe is that in the process of wanting to do that other movie he came up with the idea for blue moon when he was at this gas station and he thought oh well this is something that's one location we could shoot it all here we could you know maybe shoot it on a phone and cut down on costs that way and this could be kind of um a springboard to eventually shoot that other script that he wants, that he would still like to do. So I believe that would, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll be the next one that Steph gets to to direct, and 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 hopefully he'll have me back as an editor on that. You have um, 
you know, you were talking earlier about your experience with trailers, and the one thing that Blue Moon does, and it's been going around on social media. I know you're not on Twitter, but no. um, it's. I try to stay away from that. <laughs> I know, but um, it's exploded there um, because when people oh. watch that, uh, I know. I wish I could tag you uh, when uh, people watched that trailer. They could not believe the quality of the film, and and there's a combination of things with it. There's you know there's also the the quality of the audio, the video. You have the you know the first opening scene in that that video is you know with Mark Hadlow uh, playing Horace, and it's just an amazing trailer, and people get very Thank excited you. when they watch that. You know, they oh, that's, really that's really nice to hear. Yeah. And, and it looks like uh, a full action film from the trailer. You know, you I mean, you know, I have to hand it. That's all them and the way they shot yeah. it. I mean, they yes, they shot it on a phone, but they 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 attached a um, this really cinematic lens on it. They got really professional sound um, equipment and recording. So that all the sound is as professional as you would get on any uh, any film, really. Uh, and sound goes a long way. I mean, people don't yeah. really think about it, but it's 50% of the film, right, is sound. Um, and so you need good sound, uh, especially, you know, to make it cinematic, to understand the dialogue. Um, and they just, you know, they had everybody who worked on it, the crew, they great lighting. Ryan did an incredible job with the, the photography. And Steph had a real idea of how he wanted to shoot it. He had a real cinematic eye to it. Um, so they they really shot it cinematically uh right from the get-go so um so the look and the atmosphere and everything came from them and they what they achieved and they only shot it in the space of i think 30 hours all told to me is incredible so yeah it was a real let me ask you something about that trailer though because sometimes you have the director sitting next to you kind of micromanaging the whole process and sometimes you don't, and they trust right. you enough to say, you know, just do what you will, and then I'll see it, and if I like it, we're good. And they yeah. never, they never just say, watch one rough cut, right, and then keep going at it. But for the trailer itself, mm. how did that go? It, um, well, you know, I, I, Steph is amazing as a director, and um, I, I think when it came to the, it, it was amazing how much. I would say that he wasn't sitting over my shoulder mostly because he he wasn't in, in the same town as me. Um, but he was very open to just letting me do edits. And then, of course, he would have notes and stuff. I think a lot of I think both of us together, if we'd had more time to keep editing it, we probably would have. And I can look at it and say, well, could it on this? Could it? But, you know, but that said, he's he didn't micromanage. I think he trusted everybody he hired to do the things that he wanted them to do. Um, and when it came to the trailer, we, I think we discussed a little bit about what we, what he'd like from it. And I just tried to give him that, but, uh, I kind of, you know, I, I, I usually get a sense when I watch a film and, and, and making, you know, editing this film, I get a sense of, of what the film is supposed to be. And I just can't help, but in my mind, as soon as we started working on this, thinking about what the trailer would be. So it kind of came together pretty I would say pretty easily uh, the sound design from it. I just took from they they had this great score to it. I just kind of pulled from the score that we had 
And, uh, you know, a lot of times with trailers, a lot of it comes down to with the sound and the music. If you look at a, any trailer in a movie theater, if they're using music from another movie, they're paying a lot of money for that. Mm-hmm. So we knew we couldn't go and get music from another film to use in the trailer. Um, and you have so those I, I, deep banging sound effects of, you know, slamming yeah, and things like that. I, I kind of built the trailer around sound design of sound effects, which I knew we didn't wouldn't have to pay for. So I kind of, yeah, a lot of the, the, the quote unquote music was just the sound of a ticking clock from the film that I kind of re-edited and, and turned into sort of a musical track, as it were, uh, to kind of push the, the, the trailer along. Yeah, no, that was uh, the trailer. I mean, maybe we should have a, an award in our film festival for the best trailers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially... There's, it's a real, there's a real art to, you know, I, as, as someone who edited trailers for years, I, I know there's a real art to it. It's... Uh, it, it's it's amazing though when you most trailers that you see have been reworked so many times it's never anywhere close to the original vision of the original trailer editor but you know i think the good the best trailers are always at the end of the day the ones from the best movies because they have the best material to work with um and they stand alone yeah and and there's some at the same time there's some absolutely incredible trailers that people still remember and love that from what turned out to be not great movies so, you know, I think there's a real art to trailer editing and um, and you can certainly, you know, I always try to, I never want to show too much in a trailer. Um, and I always consciously tried to fight against that of, of giving away too much. A lot of trailers these days give away too much. But uh, my favorite, the reason I love trailers is for the, you know, what they call teasers. The, the first trailer that comes out for a movie is usually only about a minute and just gives you that kind of glimpse of what the movie could be. And that's why I love trailers are for those just the teases and and uh, kind of it showing you the potential of what might be within this movie if you go see it, but doesn't give everything away. And that's always what I strive for when I edit a trailer is to, to tease the audience, but not just blatantly tell you the story. It, it's kind of like a sales pitch, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 advertising. It's yeah. just advertising for films, not for a product. Um. You, you know, we were talking earlier, but I think we weren't recording earlier when uh, we talked about this. The, the program that you used for editing was um, edit, um, was Premiere, right? Yes, correct. And um, when you were importing the footage, you know, uh, a long time ago, I was, um, I was on a seminar about mobile filmmaking, and there were retired directors sitting in the front row. And, and there were, you know directors that had worked some of them on Hollywood films. Mm. Um, but you know, people get used to what they get used to. And the, I was concerned that they were going to ask me some very technical questions, you know, that I wouldn't be able to answer. And, um, this one guy, you know, he was, you know, just giving me that look throughout the whole thing. Like, Hmm, hmm, you know, and he says, I have a question. And I'm like, I got a little nervous and I said, well, yes. And he says, um, how do you get the footage from the phone into your computer? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, you just plug it in and you, you yeah. know. So how, you know, I actually, myself, uh, the footage can be overwhelming for what I'm using and for the, the hardware that I have. So I like to actually use QuickTime, trim the clips that I know that I'm going to use, leave heads and tails, and then mm. bring it in. What That's is a good process? idea, yeah. Well, this was this was a unique process on this film in that 
the the computer I used is, is a computer I built uh, for editing. So it's a very powerful and fast computer. That being said, because they shot it on an iPhone, it had this odd Apple codec that made, and I work off of a PC, not an Apple. So for whatever reason, it was shot 4K, so very large file sizes. It would, my system had real trouble kind of playing it in Premiere. It would kind of stutter and stop. So I actually ended up editing it on my colleague Jack, who did the, the he uh, he's post-production supervisor and did the color timing on the film. I mostly edited most of the film on his Mac, his iMac, uh-huh. um, using Premiere. Um, so, I, you know, I think if we were to do this again, I would probably ask them to shoot it in a different codec. Um, but uh, that's an Apple issue, I think, as a, you know, an Apple PC issue. But uh, otherwise, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You can just, anyone can shoot something on their phone and you can literally take the, the, um, the SD card out of your phone, put it into a card reader, uh, plug that into like in the USB into your computer and just, it just shows up like in a file system. You can drag and drop the files onto your computer or external drive and uh, edit from there. So um, when they it's were, usually pretty straightforward. When they were, um, uh, the iPhones don't have SD cards for the most part. Oh, uh, okay. So with I, an iPhone, yeah, I'm not. I think yeah. what they were doing dumping it because I, I wasn't. I wasn't on set, so they were as they shot it. They would. I think they put a special card into the phone or something. I think they they might have been streaming yeah, they were, the they footage were, they were probably, onto a hard drive. Or, if I'm if I remember right, I I believe that they were dumping the footage. You know, shooting the scenes, dumping the footage on their laptop, playing it back really quick, or you know, just yeah, you know, and then I think they, as they were shooting it, they were putting on, they were getting it out. How they did that exactly, I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, yeah, they, they, I think they just dumped it off pretty much as they were shooting it. But yeah, and then it was just you had issues with the codec and everything, and I know that they were doing, um, they were using Filmic Pro. Um, yeah. and all that process. And so th- that, you know, Filmic Pro works with Android phones as well as iPhones. Hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I would say go get a Mac, Judd. <laughs> I know it's been, I, that's the thing I, I sort of for years had Macs and I eventually got fed up with, with them. I'm like, ah, no more Macs. And I, you know, I had gotten a, uh, Android phone and I'm like, well, this is pretty good. So then I switched over to a Surface Pro for my home computer. But years ago, I had built this PC just as an editing uh, nice. computer. So I figured uh, might as well keep with that. But, you know, I think probably in, in a couple of years, I might think about getting uh, some sort of Mac again. Yeah, there's no there's no reason why you can't have both. <laughs> sure. Um, well, so let me ask you something else. Um, when you were syncing, we were talking about the, the audio and syncing the audio. Um, mm. because it's, you know, one thing is to do a short film, you don't have, this had a lot of dialogue. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I know that they shot pretty much every, every scene straight through, but there were different angles on some of these. How, how, um, how hard was it for you to sync all this audio? Was that? It wasn't any, you know, it wasn't too bad. It was the same process as, as you'd have on any film where they had, um, slates, yeah. So more or less, it was you could find the audio clips easily, and it would naturally have the same scene number on it, so you could find the files pretty easily. And then I, you know, I, I think there are some 
some ways in Premiere and other editing programs to do some sort of auto syncing, but I just kind of like to do it by hand just to make sure. So I would just, um, you know, if if they, if you have a um, a slate and you, or you can just have someone on screen clapping, um, it's always easy just to sync it by sound and go from there. And so I would, the first thing I would do would be to bring the footage in, sync it to the audio, and then I would start making my selects from there. Yeah, because so. Were you working mainly with the video and then the audio syncing that or vice versa? I was kind of did it both at the same. The first, yeah, that was the first thing I would do would be sync everything and then I would work on it from there. Okay. So I, I kind of, when they gave me the footage, they also gave me the sound at the same time. Right. And did, did they, I don't think they had a script supervisor, did they? So. They might have, but I never saw any scripts of Rezor notes, really. They gave me some notes on it, so that might have been what the scripts of Rezor was doing. But I think those notes had come from from Ryan, from the director of photography. Yeah. Did you, um, all right, now, here comes the good part. So how did you make this film so cinematic? Maybe maybe do a little tour of, of the process. So... Um, so some of our listeners can can get a uh, not the best idea, but at least a, a fun little trip on your neck of the woods as an editor. All right, this is okay. how you make this cinematic because we're all very interested in that. Well, I think the the first thing to know about anything that any movie that uh, has a great atmosphere and, and a cinematic feel is that it's. It, it, the 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 reason I love movies is that it really incorporates every single type of art into one, and so it really it was a combination of the way Steph directed, the way that uh, Ryan had shot it, the way the actors had acted in it, the way they had lit the scenes, and then and then the way that I edited it all came together um, into one cohesive kind of cinematic feel. But I just kind of on my end, I just tried to stay true to the script and to what Steph, the director, wanted, which was an atmospheric, slow burn uh, thriller that sort of was quiet and introspective, but had a ratcheting up of tension as the film went on. And so I love films. I personally love films that hold on shots and have where every single shot it goes exactly as long as it needs to be, no matter what the film is, where you're not doing a million back and forth edits just to do it. So I, I think I, I, on my end, I built the film editing wise, knowing that the start of the film was going to have a lot of long takes, a lot of, you know, you know, you could let the film breathe. You could let it kind of play out. And as the film went and the stakes got higher and the, and the suspense heightened, naturally the editing would the pace would quicken but that also had to do with the way they shot it uh so to tell you the truth the way that steph directed it and they shot it made it life really easy on me i they by virtue of only having one camera really on set there was usually only one angle of anything anyways um and it was just up to me to find the best take um which that was the most difficult thing because the acting of the two lead actors were so good that every take was good um, so it wasn't like, oh, well, this take is bad and that take is good. It was like, oh, boy, they're really good in this take. Oh, they're really good in this take. And I would just take each shot up to its logical conclusion to when it's like, oh, this is when the shot ends. Um, or this is when the beat of the scene ends. 
And um, yeah, I just I, I think uh, I love suspense films that will draw an audience in. And to do that in my mind is 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 it's like you're pulling the audience with you slowly. And I think a lot of the way they shot it really lends itself to that. They have a lot of slow push-ins and dolly outs. And so sometimes I would hold on shots to for effect. So, uh, you know, I would let scenes play out, let reaction shots play out um, as long as they needed to and not worry about doing too much editing and doing, you know, and I, I didn't want to get in, in the way of the way, what they had shot. Um, and the actors were, they would do these long takes, these two, three minute takes, which is incredible. I can never do that. Um, and, and so it made it, it made my life obviously, uh, actually pretty easy. It was, you know, they would have these, these back and forth, you know, or just a lot of scenes of the actor Mark Hedlow talking on the phone where I could just kind of hold on him. Um, and it was about him. It was about the actor and it was about his performance. So it wasn't about doing crazy cutaways or anything like that. You knew you could just, if you held on, on the actor, they were interesting to watch and it was, you could forget about, I think the audience would forget about the, the editing and uh, where the camera was. They were just focused on the actor and that's, you know, as an editor, it's great. You, you kind of let them do all the work, so to speak. Um, and that was just sort of my, my approach on this was try and give the director the vision that he wanted and, and try to create a sense of growing tension in, in, in the film. It's a very, um, between short films and feature films, um, there's a huge difference in how long you can captivate your audience um, on, the, on the entire story. And something yeah. you just said there about um, people not thinking about the editors. The editors are always one of the most, you know, silent people. When, when you're looking at the, the cinematography of a film, you're thinking about the camera person. Look at that cool yeah. angle and things like that. But it's very hard for people, very easy, I should say, for people to sort of forget about the editor. I think that's the job of the editor, too. And, yeah. um, you know, is to you don't want someone to be sitting in the theater thinking about that. You want them to be sucked into the film and thinking about what is this character thinking and uh, where's where's the next scene going to go? Um, so I think, you know, if. If I tried to do too much, I wouldn't be doing my job right, and it wouldn't it'd be a disservice to the film. I, certain films have stylized editing, and it adds to the cinematic value of that. You look at a lot of Scorsese films, and all, everything about what he does is about editing, and so you really notice the editing in his films, but, um, but he wants it that way. So I think this is a completely different type of, of movie where, to me, the whole movie is just about these two characters. And so you can hold on a shot for three minutes when they talk to each other back and forth. And you're going to forget that the camera hasn't, that there hasn't been a cut because you're hopefully so focused on their interaction. Yeah, it, it was, it was run through like a play on stage, except for you're right on the stage with the characters. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that was a really clever way for Steph to come up with this idea was really, you could play this out on stage. Um, mm -hmm but they managed to, to do it with um, a small camera in one location. Yeah. And then that way they could share it with the whole world, who's very happy they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking about just other movies, because um, 
I know you're experienced in editing and things like that. What are some tips that you could give to some of our listeners as far as like techniques, uh, not so much for Blue Moon, but for other films? Um, and, you know, like I myself, I always try to, there's one thing that I, it's fun to do is to mm. cut on the action. So you always, you always leave something hanging before you go to the next one, uh, to the next cut, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, in terms of editing tips, there are those kind of tried and true things that you will see, like, yeah, cutting on the action, which is always cutting on the action makes it easier on the eye for the the, the for the person watching to believe that these two different shots that might have been shot months apart are all part are all fluid. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of editing tips, I think I edit by feeling. So I'm not looking at numbers and like, okay, this shot needs to be three seconds or I basically, I, I, I play a scene out, I watch it and I wait till it feels like the time to cut and, uh, and then I'll adjust it from there. But I think so much of film and so much of, of editing, especially film cinematic editing comes down to an emotion that, you know, you, the, a beat's going to last as long as it feels appropriate to you. So I kind of, I do it on, uh, you know, I'll play a, a scene a million times over. I'll look at all the, the footage. I'll see what, you know, first thing to do is just look at every single angle you have. And just, it's like putting a puzzle together. So you have to say, well, I've got these eight pieces. And this piece from this shot is really great. And this piece from this shot is really great. But the scene is about this. Like the scene has to be about this or this character so you don't want to lose what the scene is supposed to be about just because you want to edit in a certain way. So you have to be true to the story and true to the script and true to what the director wants. But you have to, you know, you have to take the best moments of every shot and find ways. What are the right editing points based on how it feels? And um, and then you have to watch it all as a whole, put it all together and say, well, now that I put it together, this thing is dragging and I'm getting bored in the middle or this line isn't necessarily needed. And, and I think a lot of great editing comes to rewatching your work, playing it over and over and getting a real sense of it and, and fine tuning. And when you speak about that in, in specific, um, a lot of mobile filmmakers and a lot of people who are maybe not so much, you, you know, like you kind of said, like the, the woman show or something like that, or the one woman show. Right. Um, but, Honestly, you're doing low-budget filmmaking with mobile phones and independent filmmakers as well, right? So a lot of times you have the person that is actually shooting uh, is actually the person also editing. And I, there's a danger to that unless you've done it enough so that you can step away from yourself, right? Um, mm. I shot this. Oh, I love how this came out. I love how this came out. And you want to have that in your film and you forget, uh, the story. I think that's a good point. I, you know, I think again, I think as I kind of mentioned, the film is such a collaborative art that, you know, if there is one person doing everything, unless that person is, you know, a genius with their story, it's probably not going to, yeah, they're not going to be able to take a step back from it and say, well, this works or this doesn't. So it's always good to get a lot of great people working on, on the same project and get everyone's great ideas all together in one and 
and decide what are the things that work and what are the things that don't. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that probably could be true if if someone is shooting it, they'll probably fall in love with something that isn't necessarily going to, like I said, service the story. They might just love that part of the shot. So, you know, I think editors, they get to be someone else in the room who can look at it objectively and um, and say, well, I really know, you know, that you really love this performance from this actor in this shot, but it's not going to work for this because of A, B, and C. Um, so, yeah, I think film like, you know, film, great films are usually great because they have a great team of people working on it. And as much as it is a director's medium and every film is that is the director's film, uh, I think the best directors know the team to surround themselves with and know when to ask someone, well, what's working in this, what isn't. And then, and understand, okay. And that's why so many great scenes end up on the cutting room floor, right? Is that either so many movies have these incredible deleted scenes, but in the context of the film itself, it wasn't working. So I think the best directors and editors can, can look at that and, and decide at the end of the day, even great stuff that was shot, if it isn't servicing the movie, you have to take it out. Yeah. I've had, you know, as a, as, as the curator as well of the film festival, um, I have to some, I've actually had to ask people, you know, we have a, for the short films are one to five minutes. And I've had to say to some people, it doesn't qualify. I'm really sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's other people where I can see, um, that they could cut it down to five minutes that they can make that film work. And sometimes people get upset and they're like, no, you're asking me, how can you ask the artist to, you know, and other times they, I know that I'm, you know, not, that they're not liking that, you know, me saying that, mm. but I tell them to just think about it. And so they go away and instead of just thinking about it, they actually go back to the editing process and they try and see if they can do it. And then they come back and say, you know what, I, I did it and it, and it works. And sometimes they say, actually, I like that better. And sometimes they actually end up winning the award, you know? So. I mean, and this is why bigger budget movies have the luxury of uh, doing those test screenings, right? Is because they want to know what the, the audience thinks of it because that's who you're, you're making it for at the end of the day. So sometimes, you know, everyone, the director and everyone can love something they're working on and then they play it for a test audience and realize, Oh, you know what? This thing here just doesn't really work. And uh, there's there's value in that, I think definitely. Yeah, I like that. I like that point. I forgot forgotten about that. Um, I've mm. actually worked on films where we wanted it. The the producer and the director wanted it to be in different film festivals and had to do one five minutes, another one fifteen minutes, another one in twenty minutes, another one. You know, it's like you have all these <laughs> different versions of of films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you in in Blue Moon. How many rough cuts um, did you have or how many, uh, I should say, because sometimes you go, okay, this is the final cut, but then, oh, you know what, change this one other thing. How many, how many cuts did you end up with before you got to the last one? Let me think. It's a, it, it, it wasn't a specific number, and again, I think I mentioned this this post-production process was unique in that we were 
really wanting to get it done to get into, uh, I believe it was the New Zealand Film Festival, the New Zealand International Film Festival. So we probably spent less time editing than, you know, if we'd had more time, we might have continued to do more rough cuts and more, uh, you know, editing on it, trimming it down a little bit. But um, um, that said, I think, you know, we, we worked night and day for several weeks to get it to where we felt happy with it. But by that time, I... Uh, we, it, I was sort of assembling the film in scenes. I would work on specific scenes. Um, and much like a puzzle, you kind of, you work on a scene here, you work on a scene there. Then you have enough scenes that you can put it together into sort of maybe half of the film. And then that technically could be your first rough cut. Um, and so it kind of organically came together in that way where, where I was still editing scenes as the rough cut, technically the first rough cut or second rough cut might have we might have called it a rough cut, so to speak. But by the time we got to, there were definitely moments where we edited and we said we were happy. This is the final cut. And then there was, you know, something or else, little things that Steph, you know, would, would want to change or or that might need some improving on. And so we did some some, some minor revisions towards the end. But I, we really only had, at the end of the day, it was pretty much one or two kind of rough cuts, if I remember correctly some revisions and we basically just got to kind of a, you know, Steph, you know, um, luckily for me seemed to like the, the, the rough cut that I had done. And, uh, you know, so the, the, the notes from him and the changes after that weren't so crazy or it didn't, you know, time consuming. There was just kind of some tweaking to get it to, to where he wanted it to be but at the end also with this again there was every it, it's a, it's a relatively short film and every scene I, I believe in the script is integral to to the film so you can't really take anything out so we were lucky in that there really wasn't there were maybe one or two minor little things that ended up on the cutting room floor but it was pretty self-explanatory on my end to just go taking the scenes the shots and uh, all together abc it all fits together in this way there's not much else we need to do to it to, to to alter it. We don't need to really move scenes around or anything like that. So it was it was it was probably a quicker and easier thing on my end than maybe other editors have on other films. I know a lot of uh, bigger budget films they'll be editing for six months, nine months, a year. Uh, we did this in I believe just under a month, I believe. So. Um, and I think, you know, Steph and I have talked about the possibilities of his next film and how we would edit that. And I think if, if all things come together and he's able to make that film and, um, and I'm able to edit it, then I would probably go to the set and be kind of putting together the rough cuts of scenes as they were editing. And that's what's great about technology these days is you can do that. You can, be, you can have the editor sitting there on set and cutting what you just shot 10 minutes ago. Uh, so that might, and, and in that way, then you can see what you have on set and say, oh, you know what, we need a close up here or something like that. Um, and so that, that kind of the technical aspect of that can revolutionize film too. I think to have usually the way they used to shoot films is they would shoot it. Then they would, you know, they would give the, the footage to the editor that night and he would look at it. They would have to ingest it into the system. They'd have to, sync it up they'd have to do all these things before the editor really got into it and by the time they were already on to other scenes to shoot so uh i think in a perfect world 
on the next one, we should be able to really kind of be started editing it as we're as they're shooting the scenes, which could uh, speed up the process. I, who knows? It could also make it more difficult and unforeseen ways. But um, but this was definitely a unique editing process. I think by virtue of the fact that we had a deadline and uh, Steph wasn't in the same. He was in a different town. I was editing it off on my own kind of after hours. So um, it was a unique editing process. But at the end of the day, I don't think we had that many rough cuts and that many kind of final cuts. We, we, we kind of just put it together, tightened it up, uh, got it to the point that, that the director was happy with it. And then we kind of said, OK, we're, we're done. Did you guys all have um, a wrap party or a, a way to kind of meet up at we did well yeah well there was a i think by now they've had a couple different quote-unquote premieres in different cities at different film festivals but they had the what i believe was the official premiere in christchurch um which uh, so i was able to go to that which was incredible and they played it at this local uh, little theater in town this beautiful little theater that's usually reserved for concerts and um uh like plays and stuff but they they rented it out for the night and put in a big movie screen and uh yeah we all got to got to meet the actors and it was it was it was great oh that's awesome that's all i i think that's really kind of um a big deal you know because everybody works so hard doing their part yeah it was fantastic to yeah see everybody and and meet people who i hadn't really met just you know editors spend most of the time just in the dark room on their own so uh there were a lot of people who worked on on this film i hadn't met until the premiere well uh the office the editing room that i had or the um where i was working had um one of the photographers made me a sign and it was called the bat cave (laughs) (laughs) well that's you know that's that is my my dream one day is to have a quote-unquote bat cave in in my house as batman (laughs) is probably my favorite uh superhero oh that's awesome that's good to know uh, do you feel like playing a little game? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, I don't. I'm splurting this up on you. I don't do it with everybody, but um, sometimes I feel like we have a little time, and I thought I'd do this with you. It's the uh, 22nd. I used to call it the shout-out game, but then I got a little, you know, more instead of just shouting people out, right? Um, I think it would be really great in in 20 seconds if, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, but that's part of the fun. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you when to go. All right. Okay. Um, great films to watch for people who are interested in editing. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me, I will think about this for a second. Okay. Well, I can, I don't know if I'll be able to do this short form shouting stuff out, but I can kind of talk through some stuff. Okay, we'll do the shout out and then and then okay. we'll go back. Okay, ready, get ready, set, and I hold on. Let me restart that. <laughs> uh, ready, set, and go. Okay, so great films for editors to watch. Number one is this tiny uh, film called CQ, directed by Roman Coppola, son of Francis Ford Coppola. Watch that. It's about editors. It's about editing, and it's just a great film, um, and works on many levels in terms of. Great editing stuff. You can always look at anything from Scorsese. You look at Boogie Nights. Oh no, that was, that was too short. <laughs> All right, go ahead and go ahead and we'll talk about the front, the well, the Coppola one really quick. 
CQ is this film. I always tell people about this film because no one's really seen it. It kind of came and went. It was a very, uh, I'd say, I don't know, not low budget film, but uh, kind of flew under the radar. But uh, made, I want to say, over 10 years ago now, probably more than that. Uh, about, it's kind of a dramedy about an editor, an American editor living in France in the 60s who has been brought on board as as this editor of this Barbarella-esque 60s sci-fi kind of fantasy movie. And the director of the film has a nervous breakdown in the middle of, of filming and storms out. And they need a new director. And all they can think of is, well, the editor knows this film. Let's hire the editor to direct the film. And it's about this this guy who's been an editor deciding, learning how to direct, finish this film. Um, but in the fact, there's, there's, it's the only movie I've ever seen where there's an editing montage about an editor editing. <laughs> so you see him editing the film in this montage and he's editing a montage while we're, the film itself has this editing montage, which I, to me was just brilliant. It's like an inception moving. moving yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very meta, I guess would be the term, but uh, I, I just love that film because it's about an editor. But in terms of great editing, sometimes the best editing is you wouldn't think about it because like you said, the editing is invisible. My, Probably my favorite film of all time, and I know I'm not alone in this, would probably be Shawshank Redemption, which has just uh-huh. that's that's a perfect blending of every everything you'd want to create atmosphere, great editing, great cinematography, great direction, great writing, great acting. It all comes together, uh, and the editing is invisible. Um, even though when you look at it, it's there's a lot of montages, there's a lot of um, putting stuff together, um, but you're so swept up into the film that you forget about it. You know, some of the films that I've ever watched where I really am mesmerized with the editing, and I know, I I know you're you're probably going to agree with these. Uh, have you ever seen the Born Identity films? Oh yeah, those I have issues chase with, with films, edit- the chasing of the cars and things like that, with all the different streets and all the different angles and all the. I you know, my my favorite genre is action film, and um, I think those Born films were really interesting when they came out, but I think I'm getting really tired of the handheld filmmaking. I, when I watch an action oh. movie, I want to, I want to see the action. I want to, you, you want to see it from a wide angle. You, you want to see how it plays out. Um, and so I think, I think the Bourne films at the end of the day kind of had a detrimental effect on action films for a while. And I think these days the action films are getting more cinematic. They're, 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 they're getting back to where they were, when I was a kid, the, the, the kind of nineties action films More where you could see how a scene and... played out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, that, and I have to give credit to like, even like the latest Marvel films have done pretty well with that. I think of, of going back to that kind of cinematic action stuff. Yeah, um, I just think it's very difficult to cut action scenes like that when they're, especially in chases. Yeah, because it can be. But then again, you, can, you can hide a lot of stuff in editing too. Yeah. You, you can get lost and, there's there's nothing more boring to me than watching a fight scene where everything is, where edits are 20 frames long and the camera is shaking and you've watched by the end of a two minute fight scene you have no idea what just happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think I think you know when it comes to editing action films I think a lot of, I think a lot of people should try to take a step back and say there are too many shots here, you know we don't need this many cuts you you don't have to, a lot of times I think directors or editors feel like they need to make something feel exciting by doing a lot of edits, a lot of cuts really quickly when 
the excitement should come from what's on screen, not cutting between the shots. Right. And it can appear a lot when you're doing that, too, that you're really covering up a lot of in-between stuff that didn't yeah, go right. Yeah, and, and maybe sometimes that's done because, yeah, you know, they could be hiding something that yeah. maybe when you look at the, if you were to look at a shot that goes on for five seconds, maybe it just doesn't look that great. But if you cut it to 20 frames, it looks great. So, you know, uh, yeah, uh, it comes down to the way they shoot it as well. I will say, can I can I give one more shout out to uh, a great editing film? Yes. And, and this is this is one that people don't think about editing wise, but um, you look at the the Incredibles, which is an animated film. Oh yeah. So much. It's one of my favorite films, and I think one of the reasons that it works so well cinematically is the way that it's edited, especially in the action sequences. Everything has a. It's almost it's musical. The beats of, you know jumps down here, the camera cuts at the right time, it cuts to this angle right at the right time. It feels like if you were to take every edit and make it a musical note, it would sound like a beautiful song. And I think um, the best action sequences are edited in that way where it's, and if you look at a Tarantino film like I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there are some incredibly edited action sequences, fight sequences, and it's very musical. The way every shot goes, ba-bump, ba-dump, ba-dump, ba-dump. You know, it's... um, it, it feels visceral because it almost the editing is, is almost musically edited. Uh, and uh, I think the best action films do that. They, yeah, we didn't get to talk about that, about the rhythm that, that you developed. Yeah, the rhythm. The rhythm and the flow. Like, for example, like if you have cameras panning and every other shot has a camera panning to the right or just to the left, it, it's easier to have it, you know, left and right, middle, yeah. zoom in. You know, you don't want to have them all zooming in at the same you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the king of that actually, and the reason, and people, a, a lot of, so many people have dissected his work now, and plenty of people talked about it, but um, back when I was in school, I remember, I remember my professor gave a whole speech about Jaws. Is Steven Spielberg? The reason I think he's so successful is that he knows about those those musical beats, and and he knows that he's going to pan his camera in this shot. And then the next shot is going to be a dolly in and it's going to flow. And he thinks about the way that something is shot and edited in terms of beats and and the kind of the, the flow of it, so to speak. And if you look especially at Steven Spielberg's early films, especially if you look at Jaws, there are sequences in there that it feels like, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like visual music, uh, the way that they're shot and edited and everything flows and that it all feels like they never just shot stuff on uh, on the day and just wondered, oh, we'll just shoot a bunch of angles and we'll cut it together. I, you can tell that they had a real plan that it was storyboarded, that they knew which shot was going to flow into that, which other shot. And some of the, his most brilliant work are long takes. You know, look at a lot of his shots where he'll have a long dolly shot where characters start off in the far background of a scene. And eventually as they're walking, they get closer to the camera and suddenly they're in a close up. but the camera's never, has never, the shot's never edited. It's all the same shot, but the camera's moving, the characters are moving, and in one shot you have all these different quote unquote angles. And and so when you edit, it's very pur- when he edits, it's very purposeful. The next shot is supposed to be there. And it comes at the exact right time and, and they've really thought it out and they've they've kind of composed it as if uh, you know, a, a symphony conductor or, or you know, someone who writes a symphony would, would put something together. And I think that's why I love movies are putting all of these mediums together, visual audio and making it like visual music yeah and and there's another part of editing too which you know got to hand it a lot 
to directors um, a lot of times are, you know, sometimes the director is really calling the shots and saying, I've got all these different angles of this one uh, line in this scene. Which one am I going to choose? And yeah. and you're going to choose the one that really fit, like, you know, the, the camera angle going up or a close-up into the eyes to show the, the emotion and frustration sometimes. Or, you know, sometimes you're going, why, why do they have a, a side shot of their ear? You know, things like yeah. that. And there's a purpose to that. And it's psychological. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at a lot of scenes... A lot of scenes are about slowly pushing into that character emotionally and and physically. So you'll see a lot of scenes that might start off with two characters talking and the camera's far away. And you don't notice it, but by the end of the scene, when if if their exchange is maybe their adversaries and, and the tension is heightening, you don't realize it. But by the end of the scene, the camera is cut. It's cut to a close up angle on them at the exact right moment that you really need to be looking in, into their eyes. And I think the, you know, the, the, the worst, the worst disservice you can do to something is to take a look at 20 different angles of a scene and just haphazardly cut it. No, oh, now we haven't seen a wide shot for a while and now we'll cut to a wide shot. Oh, now we'll, you know, we'll just do it now. I think every scene needs to, you need to push it on a cat on a character when it's called for, when the scene is, when the stakes are being raised, you need to move away from the character at other times it all needs to be purposeful. You can't just haphazardly say, "Oh, I want to cut to this wide shot now because it looks good here." Well, it has to it has to play a part in, in in the story in service of the story. That's what I was just going to say because if you don't have a story, um, it makes it very hard for you to know where to go with everything. Yeah, you know. So absolutely. So I'm always ending with the story and how important that is because. You know, at the end of the day, especially on a feature film, you know, um, <laughs> you, to to keep someone captivated, you really need. I mean, it's it's great to have a performance, but the story behind that performance and why that performance is taking place um, is very important. And you bringing everything together uh, as an editor for this this the little film that could, as it's being called <laughs> in a hashtag. Um, that it's amazing. And I know that, um, they're all very grateful to you. I know that, you know, this is a, a wonderful family that you fell into. I'm incredibly lucky and it was my pleasure to work with them. And, you know, Steph is an inspiring guy, the, the director, and yeah. just to decide he, he wants, he loves movies. He wants to make these movies and he really went for it. Um, so i you know, anything I can do for them, I'm happy to, but again, you know, it's, I just try to, they made it easy on me. They they shot an incredible film. They the actors are phenomenal, and Steph knew exactly where to put the camera when. And um, I just had to kind of take the work that he did and and and, and put it together. But um, all the pieces were on their end. So I was I was very lucky to to get to work on a quality film, and just with a great group of people. And um, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think that's actually, you know, I've I've never done this before where I'm I'm interviewing, you know, every every everyone who played a part in the film. I mean, almost, right? Um, but that's one of the things that I wanted to emphasize with our listeners and everyone who's who I'm trying to inspire uh through this podcast with people like you is that when you get a 
when you get a good team like this, you get that great film. Great film. It's not just the actors, just the director, right. just the camera person, just the. It's all of you together. You really came together. You put the bet your best foot forward. You worked at it, and uh, it, it's a great ensemble, really. Yeah, I think that's that's the the joy of movies. I think is it's uh, it's such a collaborative medium. It 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 involves every single major type of art. Uh, I think between music, uh, you know, visual, it just it, it it it's kind of the perfect art piece for our time. And uh, yeah, and it for and it forces all of these different people to come together and work together, and um, and that's the the beauty of it. I should also give a quick shout out to the post-production supervisor, which I think I did a little bit earlier ago, but uh, Jake Bayless helped me out incredibly. He did the color correction on this. He did a ton of extra work on it. So it's, it's like, you, you know, even I, I had help. I, you know, it's, we, everyone kind of works together and, and, and leans on other people and, uh, and, and yeah, it definitely takes a, a village as they say. We're going to put a, a link to to the trailer again because, um, well, that's what you all get for now unless you get to go see it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hoping it gets out there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, the one, one last thing that I just wanted to point out to everybody is when when you do happen to come across your filmmaking family, just as this team, the Blue Moon team, has, keep it. Keep each other happy. Uh, pay uh, pay your team, however, whatever it takes. Uh, keep the team together because once you get that great team together, all your films are going to be the best they can be. Absolutely. So on that note, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, I, you know, just uh, it was great talking about this. And, um, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, this the and the success of this film comes from the Steph Harris from the writer and director. It's uh, he really I think put together an incredible script and and picked incredible actors uh, and it was just um, it was an honor to be a part of it. Wonderful. Well, um, why don't you say goodbye to our listeners? <laughs> goodbye, listeners. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope I've given. I hope I wasn't too boring, and I uh, hope I give some insightful stuff yeah you did all right everybody see yeah. you next time